the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. I just want to review a little bit in case your hearing aid was in the wrong ear. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, this has been an ongoing theme, and of course, it applies a lot to the Hebrews because that was their lifestyle. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, for the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, the law was a shadow, it wasn't the essence of Christ, can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near or make complete or save those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had any consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What a great, great verse. The reason the Jewish people had to continually have sacrifices ongoing, not only throughout the year, but every year, the Day of Atonement, there was a sacrifice for the nation's sins. The reason they had to do this year after year and day after day is because no animal sacrifice could permanently deal with sin. And the point is this, if an animal sacrifice could permanently and eternally take away your sin and deal with your sin, then why did it have to be repeated? You wouldn't need it to be repeated. The fact that it was repeated was a reminder that you still had sins that needed to be dealt with. That's why the death of Jesus Christ can never be repeated. It is once and for all. That's why we don't believe that you go to a meeting on a Saturday night or Sunday, you take a little wafer, and you practice the death of Christ all over again. He died once and for all. Animal sacrifices were significant in that the sacrifice was only temporarily delivered from present judgment. It was helpful. Rather than God deal with you in judgment, you warded off, in a sense, that judgment. But it was not eternal judgment. But through the death of Jesus Christ, there is no eternal judgment. verse-by-verse radio broadcast. Today we are in the final session of our series titled Biblical Instructions for Godly Living. This is not only the concluding session in this series, but these are also the final thoughts of the writer of the book of Hebrews. Among other things, today Pastor Steve Kreloff will be teaching on permanent forgiveness. If that is something you don't fully understand, I invite you to listen carefully to today's verse-by-verse program. Here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. You see, because of our sin, not only were we separated from God, we had no fellowship with Him. That's why I remember as a young boy believing that I was here and God was here, removed from me. I didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, but that was pretty good theology. I knew that God was not in my life. We were separated from God, but what I didn't know 
And what many of you may not have known is that we were at war with God. We were at war with Him. Romans 8, 7 says that we were hostile towards God. Even those who say, well, I always believed in Him. Actually, that's probably not the case. You always believed, at least when you were younger, believed in a God you created in your mind, not the God of the Bible, unless you were saved in an early age. But we hated Him. We were at enmity with Him. Romans 8, 7, that's what Paul said. But the moment you trusted Christ, you know what happened? The war was over. The war was over. And God completely forgave all of our sins, and He gave us a salvation of peace with Him. That's been one of the great themes throughout this letter to the Hebrews, that man is not right with God through animal sacrifices, but he's right with God through Jesus Christ. Would you look at Hebrews chapter 10? I just want to review a little bit in case your hearing aid was in the wrong ear. Hebrews chapter 10. This has been an ongoing theme, and of course it applies a lot to the Hebrews, because that was their lifestyle. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, the law was a shadow, it wasn't the essence of Christ, can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near or make complete or save those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had any consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What a great, great verse. The reason the Jewish people had to continually have sacrifices ongoing, not only throughout the year, but every year, the Day of Atonement, there was a sacrifice for the nation's sins. The reason they had to do this year after year and day after day is because no animal sacrifice could permanently deal with sin. And the point is this, if an animal sacrifice could permanently and eternally take away your sin and deal with your sin, then why did it have to be repeated? You wouldn't need it to be repeated. The fact that it was repeated was a reminder that you still had sins that needed to be dealt with. That's why the death of Jesus Christ can never be repeated. It is once and for all. That's why we don't believe that you go to a meeting on a Saturday night or Sunday, you take a little wafer, and you practice the death of Christ all over again. He died once and for all. Animal sacrifices were significant in that the sacrifice was only temporarily delivered from present judgment. It was helpful. Rather than God deal with you in judgment, you warded off, in a sense, that judgment. But it was not eternal judgment. But through the death of Jesus Christ... There is no eternal judgment because now you have peace with God. It's a wonderful truth. How can our sin be completely and permanently forgiven? You say, I don't understand. What are you talking about? How can it be? Well, notice the next phrase in Hebrews as we go back to Hebrews 13. He says, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. The price of our peace was the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Colossians 1.20 says, He made peace through the blood of His cross. That's how peace was obtained. God cannot forgive just by looking at you saying, I think you're a nice person. I'm going to forgive you. God cannot say the war is over because I don't want to fight anymore. God doesn't want to fight to begin with. It's man who declared war. The price of our peace was the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Christ that had to be shed. And while on earth Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd, 
who lays down his life for the sheep. Remember John 10? I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. But here he's called the great shepherd. Not just the good shepherd, the great shepherd. As the good shepherd, he died for us. But as the great shepherd, he has been raised from the dead and now he ministers to us and he equips us and he helps us in many ways. You see, having died for us, God the Father raised up Christ from the dead. Now, what was the resurrection all about? The resurrection was, in essence, proving that God has accepted the death of his son. It was saying that God's justice was satisfied with the death of Christ. It is proof positive that our sins have been dealt with. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you and I have no assurance that our sins have been dealt with. But his resurrection proves that God has accepted his death and that the new covenant is established by his shed blood. That's a tremendous truth. That's the proof. And God has exalted him. God has exalted him. Hebrews chapter 8 speaks of the wonderful benefits of the new covenant. You know how the new covenant is different from the old covenant? The new covenant is one of forgiveness. The old covenant could not forgive you. The law could not forgive. It pointed out your sin. It could not forgive. The new covenant is one of forgiveness. He speaks about that. I'll take away their sins. The new covenant is one of internalizing the truth. He says, I'll put the law within your heart. It isn't just something you perform now. It's something you desire to do. It's something you want to do. That's the new covenant. He also says, I'll give you a new nature. It's internal. That's the new covenant. God has raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. He died for our sins. He established the new covenant. We come to him. We've accepted him. His sacrifice for us has been accepted by God. He has been exalted. He has been resurrected, and he is now where? At the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. We have an exalted one in heaven, our ongoing high priest. Proof positive our sins have been forgiven. So he died for a sheep as the good shepherd, but Hebrews 13.20 says he's the great shepherd. He's the resurrected shepherd, and he lives in heaven now, ministering to his sheep on earth. He's also, by the way, in First Peter chapter 5, called the chief shepherd. And that is in connection with he's coming back for his sheep. Now, God displayed incredible power when he raised Christ from the dead. But whatever happened to that power? Is it available for us today? Well, that's all part of the writer's prayer. Notice verse 21. Here's his specific prayer. In verse 20, he's just telling us about God. But in verse 21, he says, his prayer, may the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The same God who raised up Christ is available to equip us to do his will. That's what this verse is saying. Now, what does it mean to be equipped? I really believe that's a foreign term to us. But it was a very familiar term to first century people acquainted with the Greek language. It certainly was familiar to doctors because this word was used in ancient literature of setting a bone. A doctor would equip someone with a broken bone, setting a bone. It was also familiar to fishermen because it was used of mending a broken net. In fact, it's even used in the New Testament that way, of the apostles having a broken net, of equipping that net or mending it or setting it together. Now, basically, the word means to put into proper condition. Something has been broken or something's not functioning properly. To equip it was to put it into a proper condition. So to equip a Christian meant that we are put into a condition so that we will function as God intended us to function. A word that may help you rather than equip, just a synonym for this, I would say would be mature, to mature us. 
That's a good enough term here. To become mature so that we will be useful to the Lord. I think that's the essence of thought. He's praying that these believers, and it certainly applies to us, will be mature so that we will be useful to the Lord. So the question is, so how does God mature us? How does he equip us to do his will in all areas of life? You might wonder, well, how can I do God's will? What does God want me to do? How can I do God's will? Well, verse 21 says he equips you in every good thing to do his will. Watch this. This is how he does it. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. He works in us. It is God at work in us who enables us to do what pleases him. I want you to know this is cooperative effort. It is not a passive submission, but a willful and a joyful cooperative obedience. You have to turn to Philippians chapter 2 because the Apostle Paul elaborated on this and clarified this, and this is very, very helpful. This is great because this deals with something that is hardly mentioned today. It's called sanctification. How do you grow? How do you grow as a Christian? There's a lot of false views. A lot of false views about sanctification or growing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, he writes, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Watch this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the human side of growing. There is a divine side. Don't turn from Philippians. We're going to look at the human side first. Now, what does this verse not mean? This throws a lot of people, and they say, but wait a minute, work for your salvation? No, it didn't say work for your salvation. That would contradict what everything else in the Bible says about salvation. The Bible says salvation is a free gift. The Bible says you can't work for it. The Bible says that for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So he can't possibly be saying work for your salvation. Notice the term is work out your salvation, which means work out in daily conduct what God has already given you. God has placed within you salvation. Now work it out. Work it out. In other words, make an effort to live a holy and obedient life. God has given you salvation. Now obey him. So according to this verse, we have a responsibility to make an effort to grow. And it's aggressive and it's disciplined. And I want you to know there are many Christians who do not follow this. They have embraced a sanctification theory which is known by the expression, let go and let God. That's not true. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that we're just passive, that we ought to say, God, you do it all. This verse says you do it. You work out your salvation. The Apostle Paul says, I beat my body into submission. I discipline myself. So holy living takes an effort on our part. But you may say, wait a minute, is it all us? No, I didn't say it was all us. It's a cooperative effort. Holy living can't be all human effort. Where does God fit in? Well, verse 13 is the divine side of growing. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As soon as we are saved, God begins to work within us. God works in us to produce both, according to this verse, the desire and the power to live a Christian life. It's a cooperative effort. It's God who is in you working, creating that desire to please him. And he will give you the power to obey him. That's why when somebody comes to me, a Christian says, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I say, that is ridiculous. That is an excuse. You can do this. If God said it, you can do it. 
Because he is at work, if you're really a Christian, within you, both to give you the desire and to give you the power to do whatever he said. In fact, he said his commands are not burdensome. So let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. I just want you to see that because really that is the same truth as being taught here by the writer. He's telling these Jewish believers, God equips or matures us by working within us to bring about behavior that pleases him. Now, how does he work within us? Let's get very specific. What does God use to equip us? He uses his word. Number one, Ephesians chapter four says this. Ephesians four Verse 11 and 12, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Jesus Christ has given to the church some men who are to lead the church in the ministry of the word. And why? Verse 12 tells us, for the equipping of the saints, for the maturing of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. What happens is this, men of God teach the word, The people take in the word, they receive it, they're matured. As they get matured, they get active. As they get active and start to grow, they get involved in their own ministries. They start to grow and mature, and in a growing and maturing Christian is an active serving Christian. He's serving the Lord. So God uses his word to mature us. As you receive and apply, you can't just hear the word. You may say, well, I'm hearing the word now. No, you're not going to grow by hearing the word. You're going to grow by hearing it and applying the word by taking the spiritual hearing aid out of the wrong ear. And you're going to apply it. And also by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, God uses the Holy Spirit. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So the spirit of God is the one who strengthens us to do his will. Then also verse 20 says of Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. So the Holy Spirit gives us the strength. Now, let me put this together. God is not going to force you to obey him. You don't want to obey him. He's not going to force you to obey him. He'll probably chastise you. Not probably. He will. He'll discipline you, but he won't force you to obey him. If you are consistently defeated in your life, in your spiritual life, and I'm not saying you never have a defeat, but I'm talking about if you are consistently defeated in your Christian life, It's because you have not been spending time in the Word of God. You haven't been spending time in the Scriptures. And the reason I know that is because when you put this all together, when we let in God's Word, the Holy Spirit then is able to take the Word of God and He uses it to shape our desires. He gives us spiritual godly desires and He empowers us to carry them out. That's sanctification. That's how it is. That's progressive sanctification. You take in the word. It's not a magic wand. You take in the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses that to shape those desires because you are taking in God's desires and he empowers you to carry that out. See, there are some people waiting to be zapped spiritually. They talk about deliverance. The Bible doesn't teach deliverance. The Bible teaches victory over sin. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have any problems or any struggles. Some people are really working in a dream world when it comes to growth. This is how the Bible says you're supposed to grow. It is not something that takes place overnight, instantaneous maturity. According to Hebrews 13, 20, and 21, God is equipping us as we take in the word. As you take it in, he shapes your desires. He empowers you to carry out his will. And that's the writer's burden. He said, I've taught you these things. I want you to obey it. I want you to obey it. It's no wonder that the writer gives God the glory for this. Notice the end of verse 21. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
That's just great because he's got to take credit for it. He's the one who gives us the desire. He's the one who's given us the word. He's the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. We can't take even a whole lot of credit for sanctification and spiritual growth. So we give him the praise. So we've seen a request for prayer, prayer for the readers. And now finally, it's just a little postscript, closing remarks, verse 22. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You may not think it's brief, do you? But it's a lot shorter than Romans and 1 Corinthians. And actually, just to read it through, you could have read it through in about an hour if you're a decent reader. There were a lot of heavy theological truths, doctrinal truths in this letter, but basically it was an exhortation exhorting us and exhorting the original readers to have devotion to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this as we close this book, as you think about it, what practical difference has this book made in your life? How has it affected you spiritually? If you're no different today than you were when we first started this letter, when you first arrived at Lakeside and started hearing it, then you need to take out that spiritual hearing aid. It's in the wrong ear. Or you need to wake up. The study of Hebrews ought to have made a difference in your Christian life. Do you have a higher view of Christ now than you did before? You ought to. Are you aware of the danger of apostasy? Do you fear that? Are you concerned about that? You ought to. Do you see that Jesus Christ needs to be the focus of our lives? Do you have a disdain for religiosity and you're free from religion and are focusing on a relationship with Christ? That's what Hebrews is about. Have you deepened your faith in him as a result of Hebrews 11? Do you see now that faith operates in the midst of adversity? Have you determined to endure persecution because you see it now in the light of eternity? I mean, that's what this book has been about. Have you severed ties with the old way of life and have given undivided attention and loyalty to Christ? If you've not done that, then you've missed Hebrews. You've missed it. Have you determined to be more hospitable? Because that's what Hebrews is about. More compassionate to those who suffer. You determined to love your spouse more because he mentions that chapter 13. That's what Hebrews is about. If you've missed it and you've only gotten doctrinal portions down and now you understand the relationship of the animal sacrifices and all that, then you've missed Hebrews. Hebrews is an exhortation to be committed to Christ. Then verse 23. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom if he comes soon, I shall see you. We don't know Timothy's relationship to this church, but obviously he was well known to this congregation, probably well known to all the congregations. And the writer was waiting for him to join him so that they could both travel to the church. Timothy probably had been released from prison. We take it that the word released means that, though it doesn't have to mean that, from prison. And our writer was free. He wasn't in prison, so he was waiting for Timothy to join him. And then when he got there, they would both travel to wherever this church was. And then verse 24. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. My friend Andy Marinello has been waiting for me to state this. I know. Those from Italy greet you. Now the writer conveys his greetings to the church's leadership and to the whole fellowship. And some of the writer's colleagues from Italy send their greetings. Now this could mean that this letter was either written from Italy. We don't know. It could mean that. Or it could mean that the Italian brethren who were with him were away from Italy, and they were just sending their greetings back home, which could mean then that maybe this church was in Rome or some part of Italy. We don't know. But he just gives final greetings. And then the final verse of this magnificent letter, I think, sums up the whole letter, puts it all in perspective. 
He says this, grace be with you all. And I decided to close this by quoting from the commentary that has probably helped me the most as I've gone through Hebrews. There's been a lot of commentaries that have helped me, but one in particular has been very, very helpful. And that's by Homer Kent of Grace Seminary. He wrote a great commentary on Hebrews. And here's what he says about the last verse. These are his comments directly quoted from his book. When the readers came to appreciate fully what matchless grace had been provided in Christ, the attractions of types and shadows would fade away. Let us hope that the epistle succeeded with its first readers, and let us make certain that its purpose has been accomplished in us. Toward the end of today's broadcast, Pastor Steve had a series of excellent questions he asked us. I'd like to review a few of them before our time is up. What practical difference has this book made in your life? (laughs) Good question. How has it affected you spiritually? This study of Hebrews ought to have made a difference in your Christian life, and I hope it has. Maybe you would like to review a few of these sessions to get a better grasp of what was taught. You can surf over to versebyverseradio.org and look for the podcast link on the right side of the screen. If you sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast, you will not only have access to all of the past sessions, but you'll be able to listen whenever it fits your schedule. So please join us on the next Verse by Verse program for another great series of messages from Pastor Steve Prelock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.